The best part of waking up is screaming, what the f***? Oh, temper, temper. Live from an undisclosed location, this is the Gribble Nation Roadcast. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Did you miss me? Uh, you are listening to Just Passing Through here on the Gribble Nation Roadcast, which is fueled, of course, by Anchor FM. I'm Dan. I'm back with you. I know it's been, what, a couple of weeks since I last spoke with you guys? Um, there's just been so much going on. I, I had to take a little bit of a break from recording for a little while. Um, but I'm back at least for this week. We'll see. You know, hopefully, uh... I can get back into a more regular schedule here. Um, just to kind of get you guys caught up on what's been going on on my end here lately, um, I had a couple of uh, certification classes I had to take at night. I'm still working the overnight shift at work. Um, so those two things combined have just completely zapped any spare time that I might have. Um, also been working on a uh, photo and video project, a little side project of mine for the uh, RFK Bridge in New York City. Um, that was actually almost completed a few weeks ago, and then I had to put it to the side because of this uh, class and work obligations. So hopefully I'm going to return to that soon. Um, I also did a day trip down to Delaware in early March. Uh, no, I did not meet up with Doug. I did not do any fresh driving with him. Uh, this was a separate thing to collect some footage for um, the uh, online Delaware Road Meet event, uh, which was hosted successfully on March 20th. It was the last episode, the season finale, of our latest run of live programs on the Roadway Wiz channel. Um, and we, we pulled that off. It was eight hours of live streaming and it was a heck of a lot of fun to do uh, a lot of people contributed to that program and if you go back in the last year or so uh, there have been about 20 people who have contributed to the uh, the live shows that we've done uh, ever since the pandemic started and I, I gave everybody a shout out at the end of the uh, road meet program uh, on the 20th but um, I, I do want to take a second here to again thank everybody uh, who contributed to all the programs in the past year. I know everybody here on the Gribble Nation Network had a role to play in some sort. Um, it was just great to get everybody together one final time uh, last Saturday to, to put that together and put on a good show for everybody. So if you haven't had the chance to check it out, I, I really recommend that you do so. Um, and uh, we, we look forward to, to doing this again at some point in the future. Hopefully not in the near future. Hopefully we're going to have a, a little bit of a long break ahead of us uh, before we decide what we want to do next. Um, looking forward, uh, the weather's starting to warm up. We're getting our first real taste of spring up here in the Northeast this week. Um, so travel is starting to be... Uh, something that I'm starting to think about, uh, of course, with COVID vaccine rollout going on, um, 
that is something that's on my radar as well. I should be, uh, by the time you've heard this episode, I will have received my first dose of the vaccine, which is great. You know, it's another sign of progress in the right direction. Do have a couple of trips that I'm looking into taking here. Um, one in mid-April out in the Connecticut area. And then, of course, Memorial Day weekend is looming large um, as a big getaway weekend. And there also are a couple other trips of, that I'm, I'm working on right now that are kind of flying under the radar. Um, that's a good thing because I don't know that I want to disclose any of that stuff until after it happens. But we'll see what can come together here in the next uh, few weeks. Um, some destinations that were very much off the radar, off the beaten path over the years are finally coming to the forefront for me. So uh, we will see if uh, those trip plans can come together here in the coming month or two. So that's a brief recap of what's been going on on my end. Um, I thought I would give you guys a little bit of a summary before we dive into our uh, main subject today, which is uh, Women's History Month. Uh, if you were, uh, if you listened to my episode last time, we talked about uh, Black History Month and how that has some overlap in the uh, Rhodes community. I brought on my my friend Laura uh, to talk about that. So, if you haven't already heard that episode, I I definitely recommend that you check that out. We had a lot of fun just talking about a bunch of different subjects and. Uh, I have to get her on again at some point. She's she's a great contributor. She knows what she's talking about, and there's a lot of stuff that we could dive into uh, as far as um, road history, road planning, urban planning, that kind of thing. Um, but the subject this week is uh, Women's History Month, as I said. Uh, this is of course held every March. Uh, so since we're getting towards the end of this month. Um, I thought I would take this episode to take a broader view and salute uh, contributions of women across uh, America, uh, including structures in this country that are named for women, uh, significant women in the history of engineering, and also I would like to salute um, women in my own professional experience, my own background, who have helped me uh, become the engineer that I've become today. So we'll do that all in our next segment here. I'm going to take a quick voice break, and when we come back, we'll dive into uh, Women's History Month and all the, uh, all the road history, bridge history, and some other stuff that uh, women have contributed to over the years. So we'll do that in just a sec. Don't go anywhere. And we're back here, and as promised... In recognition of Women's History Month, uh, let's take a look at some bridges and roads that are named in honor of women across the United States. Um, I suppose we should start out in, uh, let's start in Florida. Why not? Um, if you've ever been to Miami, you may be familiar with the Julia Tuttle Causeway, which is part of Interstate 195. Uh, it crosses Biscayne Bay between the city of Miami and Miami Beach. Um, Named in honor of Julia Tuttle, um, a wealthy landowner in southeast Florida, she went on to be the principal founder of the settlement that became known as Miami. Uh, her nickname over the years, she's been known as the mother of Miami uh, as a result. 
interestingly, um, she is the only uh, woman to found a significant American city as of today. Um, further north, uh, so let's skip around a little bit here. In New, in New Hampshire, we have uh, the Sarah Mildred Longbridge, uh, which has been in place in some form or other since 1940. Uh, the original bridge, which stood until 2017, was named in honor of Sarah Mildred Long, uh, a 50-year employee of the Maine New Hampshire Interstate Bridge Authority. Uh, who rose from the position of secretary at its creation in 1937 to its uh, executive director uh, at the time of her passing. Um, this bridge was replaced in 2018 with a new, uh, very interesting vertical lift road and rail bridge. Uh, it's right over there in uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. If you want to go check it out, I, I definitely recommend it. Uh, we also have the Betsy Ross Bridge in Philadelphia, named in honor of the woman upholsterer who was credited by uh, her relatives posthumously with creating the first uh, 13-star American flag in 1776 during the American Revolution. Uh, that bridge, by the way, opened in 1976, um, appropriately, considering that was the, uh, the year of the bicentennial celebration uh, in Philadelphia and nationwide. Uh, further down the coast, in uh, eastern North Carolina, we have the Virginia Dare Bridge, which was built in 2002. It is named in honor of the first English child born in a New World English colony. Virginia Dare was born in 1587 uh, in the original Roanoke colony that was eventually lost. Um, and that bridge carries the US-64 bypass uh, over to Roanoke Island from the mainland. It's not far from uh, Kitty Hawk and Nags Head. Uh, if you've ever been out to the Outer Banks before, perhaps you've uh, been over that bridge in the past. Other roads that are named for women, we have in the DC metro area, we have the Clara Barton Parkway, uh, named in honor of uh, Clara Barton, who was a, uh, she originally rose to prominence in the Civil War uh, serving in army hospitals uh, for the Union Army in Washington, D.C. Uh, in later life, she went on to uh, found the American Red Cross, which is still quite a prominent uh, fixture in um, American society today. And last but not least, if you like the idea of some exotic freeways uh, that are a little bit uh, off the beaten path. You can go out to uh, the Hawaiian island of Oahu where the uh, western two-thirds or so of Interstate H1 across uh, Oahu are named in honor of Queen Liliuokalani who was the last sovereign monarch of the Kingdom of Hawaii. Uh, she ruled between 1891 and 1893 before the monarchy was deposed. Uh, Hawaii ended up being annexed into the United States and in 1959 became the 50th state. So that's a little bit of a summary of some notable landmarks in America named for women. Uh, will we see more in the future? Well, we, we, probably, uh, we probably should at some point. Um, we'll have to see how our uh, interests and what we value evolves over time. But for now, that's a, that's a pretty solid list of the most significant ones, at least the most significant ones that I could think of off the top of my head.
I also want to spend a few minutes talking about women in engineering in this episode, um, particularly with respect to a couple of significant bridge projects in the New York metropolitan area. Um, it is not really possible to tell the story of the construction of the Brooklyn Bridge without telling the story of Emily Warren Roebling, who was the wife of Colonel Washington Roebling, um, the chief engineer of the Brooklyn Bridge project. Actually, as a quick aside, Washington has a very interesting story himself. He served in the Civil War. He rose to the rank of colonel. Uh, he was present at several notable uh, battles in the Civil War, particularly Gettysburg uh, and the Siege of Petersburg at the end of the war. Uh, after the war ended, he joined his father out in Cincinnati, uh, the famed engineer John Roebling. Uh, they completed the bridge at Cincinnati that John had begun before the war. Um, and John was actually the, the original lead designer for the Brooklyn Bridge before he fell ill and passed away in 1869. Uh, so Washington took over the project before he himself uh, became ill with the effects of uh, Quezon's disease or decompression sickness. Um, and he was relegated to... Uh, his apartment in Lower Manhattan for the duration of the project. The, the bridge took about 13 years to build. Um, he largely directed the project um, while being completely absent from the job site. And the person who made all of this work and who became basically the chief engineer of the bridge project in all but name was his wife, Emily. Um, she immersed herself in all of the engineering uh, language and all of the engineering theory and uh, technology of the day. Uh, she really became interested in learning about all of this stuff through her husband's work um, in the initial planning for the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, so she became really fluent in all of that stuff and she was the person who was on site directing um, the work. Um, she served as a liaison between her husband and crews on site. Um, and she was really her husband's strongest advocate. It's been said that uh, during the course of construction, there were calls on many occasions to have her husband dismissed from his lead position on the project. But uh, she stood up for him and, and her work in uh, being his advocate and being so committed to the project herself um, is a huge reason why the Brooklyn Bridge was completed successfully and opened to traffic in 1883. And um, she does not get the recognition that she deserves, I don't think, uh, from the community at large. But um, her story is definitely one that is worth telling. And um, I'm glad to share at least a little bit of it here uh, with you folks uh, today. There's definitely a lot of literature out there about uh, Mrs. Roebling and her work on the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, I really encourage you guys to check it out. Um, she was way ahead of her time. You know, she would call herself a civil engineer today, uh, but the idea of women being in the profession of civil engineering in the 1870s was practically unheard of at the time. Um, so she was many decades ahead of uh, ahead of her time and ahead of where women ended up being, and um, yeah, it's a great story, and I, and I think I think that uh, you folks should definitely look into it more uh, on your own time if if that interests you. I also want to talk about 
a project that I was personally involved in for about six years or so, a little bit north of New York City. And that was the, um, the replacement of the Tappan Zee Bridge. Uh, the new bridge, of course, is named in honor of the late Governor Mario Cuomo. Um, there are three women that I want to give a shout out to uh, with, with respect to this project. Um, one of which is uh, Jamie Barbas, who was the uh, New York State Thruway Authority's uh, project director for that uh, design-build undertaking. Uh, she was really the face of the thruway side of the project from an oversight and design uh, perspective. Um, and it was great to know that a, that a woman was in such a prominent position on such a prominent uh, project nationwide. At, at its peak, it was the largest uh, bridge project in North America that was going at the time. Um, so it is pretty neat to know that a woman was uh, leading the way. On such a uh, on such a strong uh, effort, um, two women that I worked very closely with uh, in the past over over those years, over those six years or so. Um, for the purposes of this episode, I will refer to them as Arlisa and Bo. Uh, I first came to know them through this project. I worked with them day after day. Uh, for years and through them I learned so much about the profession uh, what it takes to be a successful professional what it takes to be a good inspector um, even though they are not technically engineers themselves I learned a lot about how to be a good engineer uh, through them and how they conducted themselves and how they prepared themselves for um, each day's work uh, through them, I became fluent in a lot of different things. Uh, structural steel, uh, bolting, uh, rebar and concrete, I, you name it. If it was something significant that was going on on the project, chances are one of those two was involved. Um, and they were just awesome people to get to know. And they were also awesome because of their uh, career experiences. And so they were... They were really, they knew everything there was to know about it, and and I think because of, I think because of their experience and their background, um, they always had the right answer, and so that 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 made it easier for me to kind of uh, figure out what I should do and how I should approach situations. So, um, wanted to give a shout out to those two. Uh, they they were two prominent women who were on our staff. On that project and hey let's face it I mean I wouldn't be here today um, in the position I'm in uh, without their help and their guidance over the years um, in engineering so much of what gets learned is passed down from past generations or from people who have already been there before and so it's important to have a staff that has a, a variety of different people and different experience levels. Um, and on this particular project, we had, um, we had two very prominent women who were at the front of it all. And I think, you know, I, I, I don't really, I don't really know where, how we would have gotten through the project without them. So, 
Um, really appreciative of everything that they contributed and what they did to help me uh, in my early years as a professional um, progress to the uh, the great genius that I am today. So um, I want to say thank you to to those two, or Lisa and Bo, if you're listening. Of course they're listening to this show. How could they not be? Um, in fact, as soon as they're done listening to this, they're going to probably text me and be like, Dude, that's freaking awesome that you're podcasting, man. When can you have me on for an episode? Anyway, um, that's my look at uh, women in the road and bridge world and in the engineering world real quick. I've got one more uh, voice break here um, coming up, and then I'm going to... I got a few things to say to wrap things up. So we'll do all of that right after this. Uh, We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. here one final time on this Women's History Month themed episode of Just Passing Through with your host Dan Murphy. Um, Definitely recommend again that you guys check out um, a lot of the women's history themed literature that's out there right now and again if you ever have the chance to take a look at uh, the biography and some of the inside info on the story of the Brooklyn Bridge um, that is definitely worth some of your time. Uh, I highly recommend it. It gets the Dan Murphy uh, seal of approval. Uh, One other thing that I wanted to mention before I sign off, it is, of course, Women's History Month. And since this is a Rhodes podcast, I was going to save this for the end of the show. But uh, we've reached the end of the show. So now I would like to tell you about um, a very prominent woman in my sports fandom life. And that is Amy Adams Strunk, who is the controlling owner of the Tennessee Titans NFL franchise. Uh, she rose to that position in 2015 following the death of her father, um, uh, Bud Adams, who was the founder of the original Houston Oilers franchise in 1960. Uh, of course, the, the Oilers moved to Tennessee and became the Titans in 1999, where they've uh, been ever since. Um, so Miss Amy, as the fans know her, uh, has been at the helm for the last six years, and she's overseen uh, a real renaissance on the franchise. Uh, they've made it back to the AFC Championship game. They've been to the playoffs a few times since she took over. Um and hopefully we're just getting started. Hopefully uh, the Titans can make it back to the Super Bowl before too long. Uh, I know that we've got the right people at the helm to set us on the right course for that. So raising a glass to you, Miss Amy. Thank you for everything you've done for the Titans organization. And uh, for all you Titans fans out there or Titans non-fans, we'd love to have you on the bandwagon. Uh, tighten up. And I'm going to sign off for this this week's episode. This was actually a much longer episode than I even thought it was going to be. But uh, anyway, thank you very much for joining me. Um, 
I hope to speak with you guys again on a more regular basis soon. Uh, hopefully, my, hopefully my schedule will calm down a little bit here. It's been, it's been pretty crazy here the last few weeks, but um, really appreciate uh, you guys listening. Glad I was able to put this together for you guys real quick. So we'll sign off here. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to uh, an episode of the Gribble Nation Roadcast. Uh, We hope uh, you get to listen to us again soon. Have a good one.